Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back. Today I bring to you a conversation with Diana Jensen. Diana is a passionate early childhood educator from Denmark. Diana's journey in early childhood education is a testament to her commitment to a lifelong pursuit of knowledge. She's an internal student, consistently delving into the world of conscious discipline and brain science to unravel the mysteries of child behavior and how we as adults can navigate this path with grace. She's the host of the Joy Discovery Journeys Navigating Early Childhood podcast, where she guides parents, teachers, and caregivers through the intricate world of raising and educating young children. Diana's podcast began as an Instagram page where she shares engaging activities for preschoolers, igniting a passion for early childhood education that continues to inspire her work today. In our conversation, we talk about the gap between kids' developmental capacities and the demands that are inflicted on them in early years of preschool. We discuss the difference between early education in the U.S. and Denmark and set the tone for an alternative approach that gives kids ample freedom to play, explore, and just be kids. And now, on to the conversation. Hi, welcome, Diana. I'm so happy to have you here on our podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to interview Diana Jensen, an early education teacher that lives in Florida right now, but you are originally from Denmark. And I would love to start by asking you, how you came to live in the States and how has the experience been for you this far? Hi, Efrat. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And uh, this is really fun. Um, I've been coming to the States ever since I was a child. My aunt and uncle or my aunt, uncle and cousins lived here in Fort Lauderdale when I was a child. So we would come visit every year. And that's why I also have an American accent. Um, I've been here in the U.S. permanently since 2021. Um, I'm in the process of getting my degree in early childhood education. I have a degree already in um, communication. And now this is the second degree I'm getting whilst also working at, um, as part of my practicum, I'm working at a preschool. Um, with three and four-year-olds mostly, but I also sub in other classes. So I'm seeing all the ages from two up to actually up to third grade. So it's lots of fun. Um, and yeah, it's a little different than how we do things in Denmark. So I'm learning a lot from being here and it's exciting. It's fun. 
Wow. So I'm I'm interested to you're saying it's different than how you do things in Denmark. I went I'm interested in that. Like what what are the differences that you see in terms of the way that we educate our kids here in the States and the way that kids are being educated in Denmark? And also if you can say a few words, if you have noticed something in the difference between the way that we parent here and in Denmark, what the differences are? Oh, there are a lot of differences. Um, not just, I mean, I don't know which is, you know, better or worse. It's all depends on your family and your structure. I think, um, especially with early childhood education, so preschool, those formative years until about five, six years old when they start school. In Denmark, kids start school, so what we in the U.S. would call kindergarten, at age six. Here in the U.S., it's at age five. So already there, we're a little earlier. Um, and what I see a lot here that surprised me is how structured the day at school is, even for the little guys. In Denmark, um, we have structure, but it's it's looser. It's more like arrival, play, snack, play, lunch, nap. It, it's not, you know, and here you walk into a classroom and you see all these like circle time, this, that, uh, centers, lesson, what all these things. And I'm looking at it in the two-year-old room thinking, what? They... They don't understand a schedule. They don't, the two-year-olds live in the now. They don't understand that, okay, these are all the steps. I mean, they can see it, they can repeat it maybe, but it's not like it really computes. Um, so that was the first thing that surprised me. And I catch myself doing it as well. You know, I tell um, children, even children that I've uh, taken care of as a babysitter, as a nanny, um, which I did for many, many years, I would tell them what now we're doing this, then we're doing that, later we'll do this. It just doesn't really compute. Um, so that that's one thing that really surprised me or that I noticed was the whole routines, the schedules. Um, and again, it's not that routines are a bad thing necessarily. I think routines are great as in little routines, you know, so so children know okay when it's time to go outside we put our shoes and coats on in Denmark obviously here in Florida we do not put coats on <laughs> we pretty much take sweaters off because the air conditioning inside is cold and outside is hot um but yeah the whole structuredness of the day felt a little overwhelming to me I'm gonna be honest um so yeah another thing that really surprised me is the well not really surprised me but that i see very different in denmark is how um preschool how early childhood is very much just free play if you walk into an early childhood classroom which we don't even call them classrooms in denmark they're just they're called uh, well we use the the same term as we use for living room mm. is that's the there, it's just room, so room one, room two, but it's, you use the same word as living room because that's what it is. It's a living room, um, and there will be one table, one big table. If there's any kind of craft or 
anything that children are going to be a part of, the teacher sits down, puts out the craft, whoever wants to join, join. If you're playing with your Legos over there and you're happy, keep playing with your Legos. If you're, you know, whatever the kids are doing, they're happy with that. They're going to continue to do that. The co-teachers will be supervising them. And then one teacher will be doing the craft or whatever it is that, you know, um, is kind of the lesson of the day. So that's one thing that here you see all these little tables and little chairs and everyone has their spot and there's a name on each center. Like you're, you know, Alex is going to go to the blocks. Chloe's going to go to the Play-Doh. And it's like, let's let them decide maybe. I don't know. That's incredible. I I relate so much to what you say because when we moved here, I moved from Israel um, about seven years ago. And I had a two-year-old at that time who is now almost 10. And when I signed him up to a preschool here in the States, I was just shocked. I didn't believe that they are sitting two-year-olds down and they're teaching them letters and numbers and above above all their test like kind of like testing them mm -hmm. to see their iq level um every i don't know at the beginning of the year maybe middle of the year end of the year and i remember like teaching sitting with the teachers and they were like telling me yeah he's doing really good with his numbers really good with his letters whatever and i'm like I really don't care about that, yeah. you know? How is he doing um, with his friends? How is he, you know, is he initiating play? Is he interested? Like, that's what I want to know. He yeah. cares about numbers. We'll learn that later when his exactly. brain's ready for it. Right. And also, uh, it, it just didn't feel right. And after that, um, when I started diving into a little bit, you know, more of education, I understood that my gut instinct was kind of right. And mm -hmm. that science tells us that in those ages, they should just be playing freely, uh, without a lot of structure, and academics should be put off to like, when they're like about age seven. So so yeah, and you know, as as you were talking, I was just curious to know where where is it easier to be a teacher? Is it easier to be a teacher when there is a lot of structure, or is it easier to be a teacher when we when you give our, your kids a lot of when you give the kids a lot of time just to play freely? Way easier in Denmark. Way mm -hmm. easier with free play. With you know, we hear a lot of like, oh, children have a hard time with transitions. Yes, that is true. So why are we making them transition 10 times in a day? You know, forcing them to do something that is inherently unnatural to their brains. Um, of course, like the beginning of any year, whether you're in Florida, in Denmark, in wherever, the beginning of the year will be difficult because everyone's figuring out what this is. But I think by giving them more space, more freedom to make those choices, where do I want to play with trains or blocks or whatever, or, oh, the teacher's doing something over there, she's reading a book or she's doing a craft, you know, I want to go and see what that's about. 
instead of, okay, come on guys, everyone sit on your spots, crisscross applesauce. Um, and yeah, I feel that the day flows much better. There's less meltdowns, there's less transition issues. Because again, we're talking about littles, little littles, two-year-olds, three-year-olds. They're not, you know, transitions is hard. If I'm interested in what I'm playing, and even if we translate in, into like, you know, our adult brains, if I'm in the middle of an important email and someone comes and tells me, okay, you're done with emails now, we're going to go and do, you know, you got to go and read now. I'd be like, uh, well, wait, I just, I want to finish my email because I have a thought in my brain and I'm working on this. So no, I don't want to stop what I'm doing to go do something else. Obviously I'm an adult and I've learned how to say that, but little kids don't so they're just like ah! that's what they know how to say and then they melt down and then you know it just spirals so yeah wow. it's easier when you kind of go with the flow yeah yeah you know what uh, a few years ago I started I took I took my uh old son who was then four I took him out of preschool and we started uh homeschooling um <clears throat> and we started homeschooling in a way that is called unschooling. Mm -hmm. And that's basically giving our kids permission to follow their own interests, to follow their own passions, to follow their own rhythm uh, and the way that they like to learn and uh, the pace that they like, like to learn. And when going into that, it took me a long time to let go of you know them having to do things during the day. Like how the day is supposed to be structured, you know, coming from a kind of like a schoolish mindset into this free for all way of living. And the hardest days for me were the days that I came at the beginning with the expectation that today we're going to do ABC. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not even talking about letter learning letters because that didn't interest me. But today we are going to be, you know, we're going to sit in the morning and read a book. We're going to do a craft afterwards and then I'm going to give them some free time. And then we're going to go outside some kind of structure in my head, mm -hmm. but almost never did that happen unless I needed to kind of like force it on them because, you know, we woke up in the morning and they were playing so nicely uh, with some kind to with, with a toy playing together. And then I was like, okay, so now I'm supposed to interrupt their play and tell them to come listen to a story. They're not going to listen anyway if they're not into the story right now. So very fast, I gave up those ideas of how our days should look like and just was able to go with the flow with them. And then our days went much more in, in ease. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people ask me a lot of times, you know, what, I, what do you guys do all day? Um and how do you keep them occupied? That's a huge question. How do you keep yeah. them occupied all day? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't keep them occupied. You know what? Oh. They're just here. The They're in the house. Keep themselves occupied. Yeah, but. they have. They have. They can go outside. They can be inside. They can read a book. They can. You know, they have so much stuff that we, they can do here. Mm -hmm. And we're going. You know, we're going out and out and about. We're meeting friends. We're doing activities there and here. But. I don't really initiate anything with them. And for me, that was releasing that part of trying to do something with them was so liberating. 
and it just gave me the ability to be in the flow of the moment, to be in the day. And I, I loved your um, example on, on us, right? Like when we're in the middle of something and someone is going to interrupt me right now and tell me, okay, you have to come and do this. I'm going to be really pissed off. Yeah. And, and of course they're going to, of course, of course they're going to have uh, you know, a big emotion about it. Of course, there's going to be a meltdown because you're not letting them, you're not trusting them. You're not letting them go by their rhythm. Um, and while you were talking, I was thinking about um, how is it for you, you know, coming from a different mindset and from learning early childhood education and learning about the brain development and learning about the importance of play. How is it for you to go into an environment like this and to kind of have to obey those rules? It, it definitely is challenging. And I think for me, so my first kind of experience um, here in the States with uh, educating young children was actually a homeschool experience during COVID. And um, the parents were very focused on academics. And that's what I think when, you know, coming back to that question earlier of why are we doing it like this in, in the U.S.? And it's because the like, parents, society, everyone's talking about, you know, when a child is born, they're already talking about which college they're going to go to, which profession they're going to go into. And it's like, child is a newborn baby we don't need to get ahead of ourselves it's not a race you don't get a prize for learning to read early it's you know let them be kids let them find out and they learn so much just from observing from they're soaking everything in like a little sponge um but anyway so the parents were quite focused on academics i was still new to you know, navigating it. So I was like, okay, well, how can I meet their expectations while doing it the way that I know to be the better way? I'm not going to do worksheets. I'm not going to make them sit at a table with a pencil when they're two and a half and they, their hands aren't fully developed yet. They can't hold a pencil properly. It's not normal, like for their physical development. So that's how, actually, that's how Joy Discovery started because I would create games and activities. And like you were saying, I wouldn't, I had a lot of ideas and I kind of just all had them as, you know, tools in my backpack. And then I would see with the kids, how are we feeling today? Are we, you know, are, do they have a lot of wiggles? Are they really energetic and want to be running around? Okay, we're going to do letter scavenger hunt. I would take little foam letters and hide them all hide them in plain sight all around the room and they would have to go around and find them. And as they found them, I'd be like, oh, you found B. B is this letter. It makes the sound B. And just through that, through play, we just went through it. And I could do that because I had two children in my, you know, quote unquote classroom. It was homeschooling. Um, but yeah, and, and now my role at the school that I'm at now is it's a very high quality school and they do incorporate a lot of Montessori principles, which is very child-led, play-based. Not fully, there's still like some academic um, things. I'm in the aftercare program. So luckily I do not have a curriculum that I have to follow yet. I'm, I'm learning 
by observing and by seeing what the different classrooms are doing. Um, when I'm a substitute, again, I'm more of a body in the room to help with behavior management and, you know, lining kids up and, and whatnot. Um, so I'm just absorbing everything to me and thinking, okay, this works like this. Most of the kids, like 90% of the kids work fine with stand in line, wait, sit down, crisscross applesauce. But there's always a couple of kids that don't want to do that. And those are the kids that I'm thinking about because they would benefit even more from having more freedom. Um, I believe all kids would benefit from the freedom of choosing their own play and their own day, but especially the kids who have a hard time sitting crisscross applesauce for 10, 15, 20 minutes, which is just unnatural. I can't even sit still for that long. I'm always moving around in my chair. So yeah, like Maria Montessori said it best. And that is that play is the child's work. Yes. That's where they're learning, they're observing, observing and absorbing everything around them. And, and it sparks interest. And you know what? You learn 10 times faster if you're interested in something. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. And um, I was thinking about um, those social expectations, right? Like when a kid is born, a baby is born here in the U.S., many parents, as you said, you know, think about their future, you know, where they're going to go to college, how they're, how, what, what they're going to do for a living, whatever it is. Um, and not really being focused on this moment right now and just letting, let, letting kids be kids and letting them enjoy the, their childhood. And I was wondering, what is the difference in that mindset in Denmark? Why in Denmark does this look different than here? And do you see a relationship between the way that they educate in Denmark and giving a lot of freedom for kids and kind of like the cultural norms in Denmark, are they different? Yes, definitely. I think there's there's multiple facets of this. Um, culturally, Denmark is, it's a socialist country. Very, everyone helps each other. There's a huge middle class, teeny, teeny, tiny, like upper class and close to zero poverty. Everyone's in the middle. So I think already there, you know, there's just this expectation that everyone's gonna be all right. It doesn't matter, like if you go this direction or that, you're gonna be fine, kind of. Um, you know, Denmark has been on the list of the happiest country in the world a few times and I strongly believe that that's because of the social security system the, the just the way that you're generally taken care of whether you can or can't take care of yourself um, or to which degree you can so I think already there there's like less of a pressure to you know on the other side the American dream to come from nothing or little and make a multi-million dollar company or, you know, become the CEO of a Forbes file or whatever it is, these like really big lofty goals, which are also good. Like, I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to put anything down, but I think that's where it comes from. Um, kind of the general cultural differences of in Denmark, you just kind of want to maybe even like cruise a little and it'll be fine. And then the U S it's like, work hard, put it, put the work in, put the hours in, you're going to be successful. Um, and I think there's space for both of those mentalities and, and cultures. And it really depends on how you are as a person, but that brings it back to those early years. You know, you're not going to become a CEO of, of a Forbes 500 company when you're three years old. So what is actually important to learn in those years mm-hmm. in those formative five, as we call them, mm-hmm. it's social skills. It's beginning language skills. It's a view of the world of like things being possible, not necessarily that you need to reach for the stars or that you need to just cruise and you'll be fine. But just knowing that if you're curious about something, you can explore it. You should explore it. You know, follow your curiosity, thought, like experiment with things. Be creative, be the things that young kids should be, you know, they should be out trying things out, discovering the world. And I think that instilling that mentality in them early, that things are possible, that they can explore, that they can, you know, follow their own rhythm. If they're more, we we talk about the, the nine different types of um, of learners. You know, if you're more of a kinesthetic learner, you want to touch and feel things and put them together. And, you know, what, how does this work? If you're more artistic, you want something to look beautiful. And so there's just so many different ways of learning. There's so many different pathways in life that we're no longer educating children to become adults that stand in a factory assembly line and perform a job. We're educating children to be able to handle an unknown future, to be problem solvers that, you know, embrace challenges, that see things as, okay, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to figure it out. That's what we need in, you know, the world that we don't know what it's going to look like in 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Yes, yes. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's funny because there is kind of like a paradox in the way that, you know, on the one hand, there are those values in the U.S. and it's a very comp- competitive way of looking at life and success on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the way that the education system works here does not lead to greatness. It does not lead to you becoming your best self. It just leads to you becoming more like everybody else. It mm-hmm. leads to mediocrity and it leads to conformity. And the, the, the most successful people here in the States are the ones who, you know, I'm just thinking about the list that you said do have those social skills and did did have a chance to experiment and did and are creative and did go after their own dreams and know their their their, their own learning style those are the people who succeed and 
so I mean, it's so weird for me because on the one hand, like you're pushing for be become very for people to become very successful, but then on the other hand, you're not giving them the tools to become successful. So mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> where some there is some kind of gap there. Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a gap. It's yeah. It's as if we're just like at the surface level, like be great, do good, da, 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 get the good grades. But we're not actually showing them how to. We're not building the first, you know, setting the first blocks that build the foundation of something. And that's what that's what early childhood is. It's building the foundation for the rest of your life. You know, your personality as an adult, a lot of it comes from experiences in early childhood. And so that's what we need to be focusing on. It's building those blocks. And those are not ABCs and one, two, threes. They're just not. They're social skills. They're emotional management skills. Like how do I, this new scary emotion I have, you know, I'm two years old. I just experienced something. This is a new emotion. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what it is. I, the only way I think I know what to do is burst, cry, scream, whatever. And how is that taken? How is the world around me going to, are they going to acknowledge me? Are they going to tell me, no, you're fine. You're fine. Nothing happened. Just move on. You're good. Oh, okay. So no, this feeling is not, it's fine. It's, you know, so there's, but that's a whole other conversation that could. Yeah. But you know what? I, I was curious about that because do you see emotions being dealt differently in Denmark than here? It's okay. So this is weird because like what we just talked about, how it's kind of flipped, you know, in Denmark, we're kind of all, we know that we're safe, that media, like that the middle class or we'll be taken care of, whatever that kind of allows us to experiment further and do the best that we can and all that. Whereas pressure to succeed, be the best, you know, valedictorian doesn't this and that often creates too much pressure and mediocrity. I feel like when it comes to emotional management or, or kind of talking about emotions, I, so I was actually, I was born in Brazil and I lived there until I was 10. So we moved to Denmark when I was 10. And to me, it was, it was a wildly different experience than in Brazil where people are very loud spoken and warm and, you know, Denmark people are very, are pretty closed off. They're pretty, you know, they keep their, their friends really close and they might be, they'll be open with them. Mostly I've experienced with my friends, like they're very open with how they're, what they're feeling, what they're going through, but it's not like a widely something you talk about, like mental health on social media. That's like, people aren't really in Denmark. They, they don't, they don't really want to talk about that. But when it comes to children, the way we talk to them is more like in a way encouraging and like, um, yeah you know it's more about okay how did that make you feel what can we put some words to these feelings that's what i've seen at least at at the preschools that i worked at in denmark when you know when a child fell and didn't really get hurt but it was scary it was a fall there was a bump you know 
they're crying. I would see the teachers who were, had been there for much longer than I'd had would show how they would, you know, get down on the child's level. Oh, I saw that you fell. That must've felt scary. How do you feel now? And just that would like alleviate so much of the outburst. Whereas often we're like, oh no, you're fine. Nothing happened. You're fine. There's no blood. You're good. Like what? (laughs) So there has to be blood for it to be an issue. Again, that's like a whole other, you can go into many hours of conversation on that one. Right. Yeah. I feel like there is, there is though some kind of common thread um, between kind of looking at something that is measurable, right? Mm -hmm. Like in here in the US, people are looking for something that they can measure as success. So whether it's grades or, you know, passing an exam, you know, having that knowledge, you know, not now to do the exam, then you have that knowledge, you have that certificate, whatever, like some something that is very external. And, mm-hmm. you know, now you're thinking that you're talking about blood. If we see blood, then we know that that's also an external um, yeah. aspect and not looking very much underneath the, the surface of you know, the emotions and the the belief system and the feelings and Mm -hmm. uh, just the thought patterns. So I feel like there is some kind of common thread there um, that is just kind of typical to maybe uh, U.S. society. But of course, not everybody. Of course, there are so many different types of people here. And this is an immigrant country. But Kind of like the the norm, or let's say the the mainstream. Yeah. Well, I want another thing that I see a lot in Denmark is that versus the U.S. is um children are part of society more. They're more like you know parents, new parents, maybe like not new new parents, but yeah, parents like they just bring their kids along. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a restaurant, the kid like any restaurant there's kids there the park everything is kind of set up for children to be a part of life where i feel like often here in the u.s it becomes the children kind of become the center of the family but in a in a distance it's all about the child's schedule the like and kind of bubble wrapping the children and bringing them from here to there and da 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 but not really incorporating them into adult life um so often yeah i i feel that maybe children just have more of a a voice just because they're always kind of there and they and again they learn how to behave in social settings from watching and from being alone or along for the ride you know if you're just always home with your parents and then suddenly you go to a restaurant. This is new territory. I don't know how to feel. I feel weird. I'm going to get clingy. I'm going to get noisy. I'm going to, you know, want my needs met. But there's all these other things going on. And then the parents are like, no, no, shh, we're out. And now now's the time to be quiet. And they're like, but this is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's also a, that it kind of ties back to that, that I feel children kind of are more just 
part of the everyday and of the adult life <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's that that's very meaningful um because I feel like here and sometimes people don't get it or people are very judgmental because for example like when I go out with my kids and we're sitting in a restaurant I never let them watch screens so mm-hmm. many times I just see you know a family sitting and the parents are talking and then the kids are with the tablet or, or a phone in their hand. So they won't be, uh, they won't interrupt, right? Yeah. So they, they won't interrupt in the restaurant. They won't distract. They won't be a distraction. They won't misbehave, whatever. So it's kind of like comfortable uh, to have them in front of the screen. And I never let my kids watch a screen when we are in a restaurant. Although, unfortunately, in many of the restaurants here, there is going to be a TV, which drives me crazy. But anyway. Um, There's always sports going on. Yeah. Um, but they run around the tables and they go and they want to go see, look in, in the kitchen and they want to go see what's going, what's outside. And of course, it's much more work for me and my husband. Like we need to be on top of them when we are in a restaurant. We just can't just sit and, you know, have a conversation. And, and sometimes, you know, people are, are kind of like looking weird at us. You know, why are your kids walking around in a restaurant? Why are your kids sitting down and, and, you know, at the table? And for me, it's, I mean, I came a long way to, to the point where I just don't care what other people think because I know that this is what is good for my kids. And mm-hmm. the ones who that have to change their mindset are these people, like, you, you present yourself as a family-friendly restaurant, right? It's not like I'm bringing them to a um, fancy yeah. restaurant where, you know, adults are having dinner and everybody needs to be quiet and have, you know. I'm bringing them to a restaurant where this is a family-friendly restaurant. You're giving the kids crayons and something to, you know, uh, to draw on. So you're you're inviting kids in. So if you're inviting kids in, let them be kids, okay? They they. They're not just going to sit and be quiet at the table. That's just not normal. That's, you know what? It's just not natural. That's what it is. Yeah. I wanted to ask you more about your uh, program, uh, Joyce Covery, what what it's about and um, how it all came to be. Um, So it started with those children that I was homeschooling and, you know, the, the desire and kind of need to create activities. And again, these are, I say activities, but it's not like I'm going to sit you down and go through this activity. I would see that they were playing over in that corner and they were doing something. Okay. So I just set up the environment. This is also a Montessori concept. Um, I set up the environment. I set up a game of some sort and then I just leave it there, you know, it's here on this little part of the rug or on this little table or whatever it is, it's there. And then if they naturally see, which they mostly would see, Diana, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm setting up this game. What is it? I want to try. Okay, excellent. Here you go. That's how I do it. Or, you know, can, what do you see? And then they'd be like, oh, I see a bunny rabbit with an open mouth. Okay, what else do you see? I see little Play-Doh pieces. Oh, 
What do you think you should do with it? I'm going to feed the bunny. Excellent idea. Go for it. And then from that, it would just like continue, you know, they would just continue playing with whatever. They would roll out the Play-Doh. They would do whatever they wanted to. Um, but that's that's how I felt that it was like st structuring my day was, okay, I have some ideas, some games at the back of my head. If I can see that they're starting to get a little restless, if they're starting to like, they don't know what to play with. They don't know where to go or what to do when they start getting a little like, mm -mm -mm. that's when I set up a game or a, an activity. And then I just, you know, I try to, you know, the whole less is more. I try to really step back and not intervene, not try to help them too early. If I see they're struggling to, you know, put a puzzle piece in, yeah, I could jump in and help them, but I wait. And I, I had to like count, you know, maybe count to 10 in my head, count or wait until they asked for help or started to show signs of being really frustrated. Then I would be like, oh, have you tried flipping it over? And then, oh, oh, that worked. Yay, I did it. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how Discovery started. I would share those activities and just kind of little bite-size this, like behavior. Man I don't like saying behavior management because I'm not trying to manage their behavior. I'm trying to help them manage their own behavior. I'm trying to guide them towards, and again, it's not managed. It's like, recognize what a behavior is why like what they want and how to deal with it or how to express it um and yeah so that's how discovery started and now i'm starting a podcast where i will be interviewing some you know some of my colleagues some experts in early childhood one of my professors who i adore dearly and think is one of the smartest women I know um, and hear their take on early childhood and which things we can incorporate in the classroom, in the living room, <laughs> at home, and how to make navigating early childhood a little bit more joyful. That sounds really great. And I think that it's very needed. Um, I'm, I'm and a lot of our, our listeners are homeschooling parents, and I'm sure that they can benefit from your podcast a lot. Um, is there anything that is set up yet? Is there like a website that they can go and see some ideas or some kind of products or something yes, that you I have, already have? I have joydiscovery.com. Um, so it's joy plus discovery put together. So joy discovery. Um, so the website and I have Instagram up. My podcast will be releasing December 6th. Thank you. Yeah, I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. And thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like this has shed light on a few very important topics um, on how to approach early childhood education. And from my perspective, even longer than early childhood, like letting our kids be kids as long as we can, as long as they want to, as long as there is a still passion to play, let them play. Yes. Um, however, that looks like in many different ages and let us play <laughs> as Absolutely. adults. I know we're wrapping more. up, but I need to share this story. Um, yes, please my, do. My parents got divorced when I was about 
nine, I think. And I clearly remember being 10 years old, 10 or 11, and I'm playing with my Barbies. And with my Barbies, I'm acting out the scenario of a stepmother coming in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's what was happening in my life. My father was had a new girlfriend. And at first, I was like, who is this woman? I don't want to be friends with her. She's not my mom. Get out of here, right? And so then I'm playing with my Barbies and making the Barbie kid. I forgot what her name is, but she was like, like saying mean things to the new father's girlfriend. And then in that moment, I could see the perspective of the father's girlfriend and of the father and kind of continue their conversation of being like sad for the kid and what should we do and all these things. And I'm sitting there and I'm 11 years old and I realize like, oh, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, they just want the best for me. They don't, they're not, she's not trying to replace my mom. She was just trying to be an extra person, a bonus mom. Oh, my dad isn't doing this to be mean to me. He's doing this because he loves me and he loves this girlfriend and wants her to be part of my and and I managed to like work through all of that playing with my Barbies at 11 years old so there is so much benefit to play and you know and practicing play and in letting play happen and unfold and just be yeah Yeah. that's a very powerful example um and play as you said, it's not only for our kids uh, learning, but it's also so, so important for their mental health. Um, and you were 11 years old, so you have your you had your rational mind mm-hmm. already uh, developed, kind of. I mean, not, not, not to its uh, highest potential, but kind of starting to develop. Yeah. And for the even the younger kids that's how they process things that are going on in their life and giving them more time to play and giving giving them more time to process their mm-hmm. um their life uh their difficult situation is just going to make things much easier for them and for the parents and yeah so thank you so much for that uh, a very important uh, example that you just gave us you're welcome. I'm glad I, I remembered it to share it. Yeah. So thank you, Diana. I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast and learning more about how we can incorporate play into our kids' life and um, helping them learn in a more fun and natural and playful way. So thank you. Thank you. This was such a great conversation and I look forward to speaking again soon. What an amazing conversation. Here are the main key points. Number one, having a rhythm is beneficial for kids. But if the schedule is too rigid that it doesn't allow kids to explore their own interest, it isn't in their best interest and can lead, understandably, to power struggles. Number two, play is how kids learn. Play is children's work. Academic learning in many countries, including Denmark, starts only at age seven. Number three, transitions are hard for young kids and sometimes for older ones too. 
if we have less transitions in our day and let them dive into their activity without having to change it often, they will be less resistant. It makes complete sense that they get irritated when they are in the middle of something and are being asked to stop it in order to do something that someone else decided is what they need to be doing. Number four, raising kids is not a race. Starting academics earlier and looking for external signs of advancement is not true signs of learning. Learning is something that is internal. True learning is something that can't be measured necessarily. Number five, when something sparks interest, learning happens 10 times faster. Number six, early education should be about cultivating social skills, learning that if we are curious about something, we can pursue it, that there is value to what you want. It's time to be curious, try things out, figure out what kind of learner you are. It shouldn't be ABCs and one, two, threes. Number seven. We no longer need to train our kids to be assembly line workers. We need to get them ready to be problem solvers in an ever-changing world. Number eight, children should be part of society, be involved in it and learn its norms rather than being disconnected and then looked at as inconveniences for the adults. Number nine, children learn and become more resilient by dealing with struggles and frustration. We need to let them struggle and not jump and save them from uncomfortable moments. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. hope you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon.